wisdom. This is the last day for this, and it's been a lot of fun looking at the themes from the movies over the summer, comparing and contrasting them with Scripture. Uh, today we're looking at The Dark Knight Rises. I went to the theater uh, to watch this movie, and every half hour it was showing. It was, a, it was an amazing thing. Uh, but the theme in this movie keeps showing up in many, many movies. It's over and over again the theme shows up. And it's about redemption and sacrifice. Uh, in movies, if we can identify with the character, their background, their style, or a difficulty they're going through, or a triumph that they experience, it, it draws us in. It, it connects with us, and we connect with it, and we get into the story. And this redemption theme is very, very popular where someone or the entire world needs redemption. It needs to be saved from doom. And this warms our heart. It pumps us up. We get, we get into it. Um, the world created in the dark night rises. You have to remember it's not a real world uh, that they created. But it reflects the real world. It's in need of redemption. Here's a trailer to give you a sense of how they created this tension and this sense of need for redemption. There's a storm coming. You sound like you're looking forward to it. I'm adaptable. What are you? I'm Gotham's reckoning. Warned me about getting into cars with strange men. This isn't a car. Would you love to have a car like that or what? I mean, whatever it was, it wasn't a car. It looked like a car. That's awesome. Every guy I know would want one of those for sure. 
you can gain you can gain a sense for what the writers and directors were trying to create in this film. This they were trying to keep it real. I watched some interviews, read some articles. They're trying to keep it real and create the sense that we ourselves feel of this need for redemption. According to the Bible, we live in a fallen world. Uh, it's it's fallen as a consequence to mankind's rebellion, our decision to rebel against God, to try to live life independent of him. So the world we experience and live in right now, the real world, is less than God intended it to be for us. It's fallen. Sinner rebellion has created uh, a great deal of pain and suffering and trouble, just to say the least. And so they, you see this sense, this feel in many, many movies. From an L.A. Times article I read this week, says that Dark Knight Rises might be the bleakest, most despairing superhero film ever made. It uses a holy, terrifying, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, not holy, H-O-L-Y. It uses a holy, terrifying villain to emphasize the physical vulnerability of a hero we sometimes forget is no more than human. So we're placed in this world, in this movie, we're put in this world that in some ways really reflects our world. We're in need of redemption. This aspect of the movie creates a very real tension in the film that we all feel in this world because we know that this life is not what it was meant to be. The world is not the way it should be. We know there's more. God put this in our hearts. He built us with this. He built this in. And so when we experience frustration and when relationships are broken and we struggle with work and we're, we're dealing with the chaos, we know in our heart of hearts that there's more. We understand at a very deep level that our world needs redemption. This is what Romans 8 says. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, those of us who have decided to follow Christ, and even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. At one point in history, God's going to wrap things up and we're going to fully realize the redemption that he's, he's bought for us through the death of Christ. But right now, we know we need it. We groan for it. We wait for it. A redemption theme in a movie resonates so deeply with us because we know something's wrong with the world and we long for the world to be made right. We want those relationships to be restored. We want problems to be solved. We want bad guys to get their due. And when a screenwriter, as you watch movies, when a screenwriter brings about redemption, when they resolve the problem, when the world's saved, the way that it's done, how they accomplish redemption, uncovers their worldview, the way they see the world, the way they understand the world to work. In the Batman film... It's the resources of a very wealthy man, his ingenuity, the sheer will of this man, and some help from other people here and there that bring about redemption. This is what you see in many, many movies. We talked about it in the movie Brave. You reach inside yourself to find what you need to make it happen out here. This is where redemption comes from. In fact, in, in other movies and in uh, thought of our day, Personal redemption many times is achieved by doing a good that outweighs our past, the bad in our past. You, you do the good. 
In the Bible, it's very different. You don't reach inside yourself or rely on your own resources. You don't do some good epic deed that wipes out the past. You find out that it's God's love for us that puts his plan of redemption into motion. It starts with his love. And at its core, our problem is not something that we can fix. It's, it's a spiritual problem. Because that rebellion of mankind, the first man and woman, when they rebelled against God's rule, then it opened up some terrible effects in the world and it cut us off from knowing God personally. That's the spiritual problem. We are separated from God and the eternal life that he possesses and that he wants us to experience. And so he has come up with a plan, a redemptive plan to restore our relationship with him, which begins to unwind our problems. And it begins to help us uh, learn how to restore relationships and work through the frustrations and accomplish his purpose and will in this life. Doesn't We don't experience it perfectly till heaven, till the day he wraps up history, until the day we die and move on to be with him. But, wow, does he begin to unwind and show us the way as we trust him right now. We begin to experience the eternal life. We get a taste of it as he works it out in our lives in the everyday here and now. God, God's love is what brings redemption at a great cost to himself. Look at Ephesians 2. It's because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It's his grace. This gets, this gets it in, in motion. Scripture says people outside of Christ are spiritually dead in sin. This means we're cut off from God, from knowing him personally, the eternal life that he possesses. But God, because of his love, puts his plan in motion to bring redemption. If we could fit the history of man over the last four to 5,000 years into an epic movie, what, a, what an epic movie it would be. What a story of how he has gone to great lengths out of his love for us to sacrifice himself so that we could reconnect, so that we could experience redemption in him. It's God. He's the one that we fear and we praise. Out of his kindness, he has loved us to the point of sacrifice. And you see this theme, sort of a, a hollow sense of it in many of the movies. Our need for redemption. You see comic book heroes. Comic book heroes, I don't think they're going away. They keep having blockbuster movies and they resonate with us because we all want to be heroes in one way or the other. I do. Do you? I mean, I, I want to be a hero. I want to be the hero in my family. I, I, want, to, I want to be the one who helps the people around me, the people who depend on me. I personally love to save the day. I love it when God arranges that I'm just in the right place at the right time, connecting to the right person to really help a team of people I'm working with to accomplish a goal. I get, I get pumped about that. So, I, you know, I see the Batmans and the Supermans of the world, and I'm like, yeah, I want to be like that. I do. But here's how it works in Scripture. This is what the Bible says. In the grand scheme of God's redemptive plan, we can't be the Savior. 
but we're invited to be on his team. And that's where the adventure begins. We aren't the Savior. We were on his team. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only one that can do what he did by paying the price, the just price for our salvation. He's the only one that could live the perfect life that we needed him to live so that we could have the salvation that he brought. He's the only one that can put our lives back together as we learn to trust him and live his way. He, he unwinds the problems and he leads us and unravels the, the mess that we've made. We can't be the Savior. I've tried it. I've tried to put life together for the people I care about and the people around me and, and for my family. And it gets beyond me very quickly, very quickly as my kids have grown up. Very soon I learned I can't fix, I can't fix this. I've got I've to find someone else that I can trust to help me deal with this trouble, to help me, help me to do what I can in the right way to, to serve my family, to love them, to take care of them. It's beyond me to pull everything together. I just can't do it. In fact, we can't be the Savior if one of us were to dress up like Batman and, de- and declare ourselves the uh, Savior of the situation, any situation. We'd pull them aside and introduce them to a very special person who would introduce them to a special hospital. Because you know, there's a country song right now, 5150, somebody called a po-po. That 5150 is the police call sign for crazy. And, and you know, that, and anybody who thinks they're the Savior... We, we know they're crazy because they aren't. We actually have a name for that, Messiah Complex, psychological condition, when a person thinks they're, they're the one, they're the Savior. We can't be the Savior, but here's where the action is. The Savior invites everyone who trusts their life to him and decides to follow him to be on his team. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. On a micro scale, when we show God's love to others, he uses us to connect with them in a way, many times, that they are drawn to seek him out, to do the same kind of loving things toward others, and to get in on the redemption that he has for them. Uh, we went, my wife and I went through a miscarriage way back between our son, our older child, our son, and our daughter. They're about four and a half years apart. Uh, the baby would be about uh, a year older than our daughter. And when we went through this miscarriage, it sort of came on me. I didn't expect it to be as hard as it was, but you're really going through a grieving process. There was a couple in the church at the time, Steve and Dana. They came over to the house. They sat and listened, talked things over with us. They helped us with Thad, who was about uh, three and a half at the time. They brought a meal. The whole Church in the Valley team kicked in. They were all serving. We didn't know Steve and Dana very well. And so that's why it, it stood out to me. 
But they're taking the time. They're setting aside their own time. They're busy, busy, very busy people. He was a hospital administrator, had a lot of responsibility, but took the time to show that kind of love to us. Boy, it tied, it tied my heart to them. It connected me in, in, in a way to them that wouldn't have been connected otherwise. It made me want to do the same more and more. I began to want to love the people around me that way. Love is the primary weapon God uses to overcome evil in the world, you find, and on a micro level. It's love. Romans twelve twenty one. you overcome evil with good. This is what we're commanded to do. Loving others with a sacrificial love brings meaning and purpose to our days. And this is a definition of what we're to be about. Ephesians 5 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Redemption starts with God's love. He, he moved into our world to bring it, to buy it for us, to show it to us. And it starts with his love, and then it opens our hearts to the truth about the world, about ourselves, about God himself. And many times, God uses his people, those who've decided to follow Christ, to help open up the plan of redemption to those around them by showing love. By, like Batman or, save, or Superman, we, we set aside our own gen, agenda to help out. We, we take our eyes off our own interests long enough to serve the interests of someone else. Steve and Dana took their eyes off their interests, and that connected with me. I'm still very grateful. And I, we stay in touch, even though they've, they've moved out of the area. This is the kind of sacrificial love. It's the God kind. This is the way he loves us. And we do this same thing when we meet the needs of those around us. He, God puts us in our family, in our neighborhood, in our work environment to do this very thing. We can team up with God to help save the day, to help serve people. He's given us this privilege. As we love people, we connect with them, and we might have an opportunity as God works through us to open up the, the hearts of people to himself. Uh, he, he does that, not us. This brings deep meaning and purpose to every day. We, we can be channels of God's love that he uses to connect with others and begin to unfold the plan of redemption in their lives. What, what a purpose, the grand purpose. Um, I'd like to invite Jeremy Walker to come up. We're sharing the message today. And he's going to show us what Scripture says about being channels of, of God's love. Jeremy's been around Church in the Valley for quite some time, as uh, he, he, since his preschool days. So uh, he's been here a while. He attended University of Oklahoma, got a business degree from there, and then worked in business for uh, a few years before... He and his wife, Katie, whom he met at the University of Oklahoma and is a registered nurse. She's a nurse working in the area now. They moved back to be a part of the Christian Challenge Ministry at the University of uh, Southern California, and he serves on staff there, and we've invited him to speak to us this morning. So, Jeremy. Thanks, Randy. Um, yeah, that was a <clears throat> really nice introduction Randy gave because um, he talked about what all happened in the older part of my life, but what he didn't talk about is what happened when I was uh, younger, when I was a kid. Um, this idea of redemption really resonates with me because uh, if you guys knew me as a kid, <clears throat> it was a very uh, 
different version of Jeremy back then. Um, I, I, uh, I was a typical example of someone that needed redemption. Um, I was a really rebellious and just stubborn kid when I was little. Um, I was always doing things that were causing myself pain or causing people pain around me. Um, and then I'd do them over and over and be like, why is the same thing happening every time to me and to them? Like, what's going on? And, um, it's, uh, you know, the, def- the dictionary has a, a term for that. It's called insanity. Um, it's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Um, and, that, and that's the way I was living at the time. Um, you know, and then to compound the fact that I was, you know, stubborn or rebellious, uh, I had a very quick mouth and a short temper, um, which meant I could get angry fast and I could make others angry fast too. Um, it was a gift or a, a curse, one of the two. Um, but so what that really amounted to is I got in trouble a lot. And uh, I got disciplined a lot. Uh, my siblings, you know, now that we're older and, you know, the pain of discipline younger has worn off and stuff. I mean, we, we joke about it and stuff. And, we're like, and they're always like, I think you got more spankings than all of us combined as a kid. And I was like, you know, that's probably pretty true um, for the most part. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, things about that is uh, once I became a follower of Christ and I committed my life to Christ, um, I saw a real change over the years become becoming evident in my life uh, and the way I handled my anger and the way I handled uh, my words and the way I handled um, relationships and authority and just um, just it's been the biggest uh, impact in my life uh, just experiencing the redeeming love of Christ um, both when I commit my life to Christ and also just on a daily basis since then um, so one you know that's a little bit about me and uh, I don't know if that you know you know, it makes you identify more with me or makes you more scared to listen to what I have to say now. But um, that's that's kind of some of my background. But, uh, you know, one of the things that Randy talked about is the fact that, you know, we can't be a savior. Um, you know, only God can. But we are invited uh, to be partners with him to really be able to uh, be channels of God's love to those around us. And, um, you know, I want us to really spend the rest of the time today really talking about how can we practically do that? How can we actually be channels for God's love? And, I think before we really get into those things, one of the things we have to look at is how do you discover real love? Um, what does that actually look like in a day-to-day basis? Because um, love is one of those words in our culture that uh, has become very ambiguous. Uh, we have lots of uh, context in which we use it in, and we have all sorts of uh, connotations with that word. So when we say, yeah, love people, I mean, that can mean a really different thing depending on who you talk to and the situation they're in. Um, so if we're going to really love people rightly, we need to know what it really is and where it comes from. Um, and like a lot of things in life, the way you do that is you look at the source of where it comes from. Um, in 1 John 4, um, 7 through 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for God, for love comes from God. Every, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Um, so we see in that verse that you know, love actually comes from God and that uh, God is love. And so he's the source. That's where it comes from. Um, so, you know, when you figure out the source, then one of the next things you need to really ask yourself and figure out is, okay, well, how does God love us? Like, it comes from him, but, you know, how does he practically love us? Um, and I think the thing you'll see is he loves us by meeting our needs. Um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Um, in that verse, he, love is meeting needs. Uh, I mean, if you think for a second, you know, in your past and stuff about how you felt love before, um, you know, how, 
how have people really demonstrated love to you? I think when you think about that more, you'll, you'll see underlying all of those ways you felt love is a met need. Um, and that's because love is meeting needs. Uh, when Christ provided a way of redemption for us um, through sending us, through dying on the cross for our sins, um, he was loving us with the type of love that the Bible calls agape. And what that love is, that's a love that's not grounded in emotion, um, but it's a choice that we make to really meet needs of those around us. Uh, it doesn't mean that someone who loves this way is, you know, a robot or, or um, emotionless, but what it means is that they're choosing to meet someone's need regardless of how they feel about the situation, whether it be good or bad. Um, it's, it's a love that's not bound by circumstances. It's a love that's um, not uh, dependent on whether, you know, the person we're loving loves us first or responds to our love. Um, it's completely set apart from that. Um, so, you know, to even more fully grasp this kind of love that Christ had for us when he died for us so we could have a relationship with him, I think it's important to look not only at what Jesus did, but the context in which he did it in. Um, and that's where we look at Romans 5.8 here. It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, it's interesting, the Bible doesn't say that God demonstrates his own love for, uh, for us in this, that once we got our act together and once we started following Christ and obeying him and doing what he said, that then he died for us. No, it says while we are still sinners, that Christ died for us. While we were intentionally going our own way apart from him and being pretty content to do so in our ignorance that he died for us. It was why we're still his enemy that he chose to die for us. Um, you see, it, was not, it wasn't a feeling that just led Jesus to die, the most humiliating and agonizing death someone could die in his time. Uh, he wasn't just overcome with this warm, fuzzy emotion that he just couldn't help himself but go and die for us. No, it was a choice that he made because he looked at who we were and where we were headed and so we chose to step into time and space in the form of a man and meet our deepest need, which was the need for a Savior. Um, as he, as he meet, meets that need, um, it's, it's that kind of love that he really wants to partner with, with us in. That's the deepest kind of love that God shows. He wants to, uh, us to use that same type of agape love, that same type of putting others' goals and interests above our own and really meeting their needs to be used by him to be a channel to meet their needs. That's the kind of love he wants to partner with us in to meet other people's needs. Um, and so one thing to be careful for, uh, or the way and the order in which he does that, by the way, is he meets our needs, and then, then we can go out and be channels of his love to meet needs of other people. Um, but one thing that is a tendency to fall into sometimes with people is uh, just being the recipient of God's love and not being a channel to outflow, uh, be an outflow of God's love. Um, See, the problem with being just a channel of God's love is uh, everything's pouring, or being a recipient, is everything's pouring into you, but nothing's flowing out. Um, and that really causes life to kind of get stale and to get uh, uh, really just nothing lives in that. It gets dead over time. Um, whereas if you're, a, if you're a channel of God's love, uh, life really has a freshness to it. There's really a, um, a thriving that can go on for both yourself and the people around you and there's real purpose and joy that can happen as a result of that. Um, to kind of illustrate this, you know, the difference between being a recipient of God's love and being a channel of God's love is kind of the difference between a body of water like the Dead Sea versus, you know, a flowing river like the Amazon. Um, see, there's a picture of the Dead Sea here. And as you can see, it doesn't look like your uh, ideal vacation spot. It's pretty, uh, 
It's pretty bleak. Um, and, you know, nothing can survive in it. It's, it's pretty much dead. And the reason for that is because it's so mineral rich. Um, and, the result, and the reason it's so mineral rich and so dense is because there's tons of rivers that flow into the Dead Sea, but no river that actually flows out of the Dead Sea. And so as a result, there's tons of good stuff flowing in, tons of potential. But because there's no outflow, it stays kind of stagnant and lifeless. Um, but on the flip end of that, if, if we're really channels of God's love, uh, it's a lot more like the Amazon River, um, where you can see it, it's pretty plush, pretty, uh, pretty lively. And the reason is because as water flows into the Amazon, it flows out into the Atlantic Ocean. Um, I wanted to get some really reliable statistics for you, so I looked on wikipedia.com and uh, found some things that I thought would be helpful uh, just to kind of show you some stuff about the Amazon River. Um, According to Wikipedia, there's over 2,100 types of fish that are currently existing in the Amazon. Not just total, but species of fish. And there's more being discovered each year, which is amazing. Um, And then Wikipedia said up to 300,000 cubic meters of water per second flows out of the Amazon River into the Atlantic Ocean during the rainy season. And that is a ton of water. Um, And that's exactly what God wants us to be like with his love. As he is pouring his love into us, we want to be channels to really flow that love back out into the lives of people around us through meeting practical needs that they have. Um, So how do we begin to meet needs in people's lives like this? How do we begin to be channels of God's love? Uh, Well, I want us to quickly look at just just five things that I think um, as we begin to put these into practice in our lives, um, it'll really set us up for opportunities to really be channels of God's love. Um, And the first one, which we've kind of Randy's talked about it and we've alluded to some already and, and mentioned is uh, abiding in Christ. Um, and what that really means is as we stay connected to God and as we continue to um, get our direction and our uh, navigation from him and get our needs met through him, he really then uh, will allow us to be channels to pour our lives into other people around us. Um, John 15:4 says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Uh, see, the, the agape love that Jesus loves us with um, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit that he mentions in Galatians. And that's not something you can manufacture. That's something that can only come from the source, which is as we abide and remain in Christ, we're able to have that kind of love to be able to love other people with. Um, how that really works out, just kind of on a practical uh, sense in my life, it's just in my daily time with God. Um, in the mornings, I always try to set aside, if I can, some, some one-on-one uninterrupted time with God um, where I can really spend time in fellowship with him, getting to, to prayerfully read his word, getting to get some time to talk to him about uh, things that have gone on my day before or things that are going to be coming on in the day ahead, um, getting some direction from him, some learning how to, how to do life, being able to talk to him about you know, fears and worries and uh, being able to thank him and praise him for the things that have already taken place or will take place. Um, and as I spend that, that one-on-one time with him, I really, I really get encouragement and refreshment and uh, just clarity and direction and peace about uh, moving forward in my day. Um, and it really fills my physical and my emotional and, and spiritual tanks so that I can really then step out into my world and really love the people around me um, as, because he's already loved me you know, at the beginning of the day and throughout the day. And then by the end of the day, you know, my tanks are kind of starting to run a little bit low as I've been pouring myself out of other people. And then he refills those tanks, 
you know, the next day so I can go out in the world and do the same thing. And then uh, the second thing I think we want to really be doing is praying. Um, praying for a couple things specifically. One, praying for uh, God to really engineer opportunities for us to be able to meet needs of the people around us, to be channels to meet needs. Um, and then two, really praying that we would be observant of those needs because sometimes there's needs that are out there that we're just so, you know, off in our own world, we don't even see opportunities that God's already brought forth for us to meet. And then the third thing is really praying for initiative and praying for courage and strength so that when we do recognize those needs, we really step up and are able to be channels of God's love in those particular situations. Um, and the cool thing about prayer is you can really do it any time. It's not one of those things that's restricted only to meal times or when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed. I mean, you can pray throughout the day any, anywhere. Uh, I mean, you can even pray in the middle of conversations as you're, as you're talking to people. This is something I've done in the past before where uh, as, I'm, as I'm talking to someone and they're, and they're explaining something that's going on in their life, as I'm listening to them, I'm, I'm just kind of praying in the back of my mind, God, you really know this person a whole lot better than I do. You created them. You know what needs they have. Would you really reveal those to me and show me how you, I can be a channel and be a tool to be used by you to meet whatever need it is that they have right now? Um, so pray. That's an important thing. And the third thing I would say is observe. Uh, begin to observe the needs of people around you. Begin to observe um, needs of your family, needs of your friends, needs of your coworkers, uh, people that wait on you at a restaurant, anyone that's in one of your concentric circles, begin to observe needs of them. Um, and as you are intentionally looking for, you know, the physical and the emotional and the spiritual needs of the people around you, um, they'll become a lot more salient in your mind. And, it, and it's not so much that, whoa, these needs existed that didn't exist before, but as you're really looking for those, uh, they'll come up a lot more often. Um, I experienced this myself yeah, this past Christmas when my wife, Katie, I was asking her, you know, what's something you would like for, for Christmas that I can, you know, begin to kind of look for? And she was like, well, you know, I really would like a pair of leather boots. And uh, that kind of threw me off at first because I was thinking, leather boots, are those even in style anymore? Like, do people actually, do girls actually wear leather boots and stuff? And she's like, no, Jeremy, they're, they're in style, trust me. And I was like, okay, I've, I've never seen girls wear leather boots, but, you know, you said you want them, so I'll go, I'll go look for those. And so, you know, I was in leather boot mode for about a month where I was just like trying to find the best deal, you know, the exact kind she wanted. And, um, and as I was doing this, I began to notice there's tons of women wearing leather boots around me. And I was like, did they all want the same thing for Christmas? Or they got it, they got it the year before, I'm, I'm behind. But, uh, but it wasn't so much that Katie's just this amazing trendsetter that they all went out and bought leather boots because she wanted them. Um, women were actually wearing leather boots way before that. And I just didn't even notice it. They were, I mean, there's probably one in every two girls I see on campus at USC is wearing leather boots. And I was like, it's an epidemic. I didn't know this. Like, leather boots really are popular. I'm so out of date. Um, so it's an important thing. You know, as you're specifically looking for something, you know, you'll see it a whole lot more often. And as you're praying for opportunities, God will present even more opportunities for you. Um, so the fourth thing we want to do is be available. Uh, because, you know, for me, this is one of, one of the harder ones because, um, even if you're praying and observing, it's choosing to take the time out of your schedule to actually be used by God, to be a channel to meet those needs. Um, it's really easy to just fill your schedule up. I know for me personally, with lots of things that, you know, on the surface, they look really good. But the question you have to really ask yourself is, are those the best things sometimes? Uh, because, you know, when Jesus was asked uh, by the Pharisees and people, you know, what the, what the greatest commandment was, he said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind. And then he says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you're looking at those two commandments and what's really important to Jesus when you really boil it all down, um, you have to ask, okay, is, is my agenda really accomplishing that? Or is, for me personally, it was kind of hit or miss because sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. Um, and so I really had to kind of formulate a new definition of what I thought a successful day was as I kind of came to grips on that. Um, for me before, it was just how much of my checklist I get done today, how much, how much can I mark off. But as I began to really see what was important to Jesus, my definition for what a successful day was changed from how much to, did I accomplish to am I really loving God and loving people around me? Because if I'm not, then in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter how much of my to-do list I accomplished. Um, so you want to you really make yourself available. And the fifth and last thing I would say uh, is just simply act. Um, because it's not enough just to talk about meeting needs and to you know, get really emotionally inspired to do it and even observe them um, and even make yourself available. You have to actually step into situations and be used by God to be a channel of his love to other people. Um, so with that, I want to invite Randy to come back up and just begin to share some next steps and wrap us up. So. Thanks, Jeremy. Like we were saying, we, we can't be the Savior, but we're on his team. We, in other words, we, we, uh, we can be used by him. As the band comes up, I'm going to wrap up, but we can be used by him to love people. And in that moment, as, as God expresses his love through us in their lives, it opens them up to all kinds of things. And God, God uses us like that. It draws them toward him, helps them want to be the same kind of uh, people that God is, is making us to be. And then it makes a big difference in our family life, at work, in our environments. Rather than trying to change the environment or change the people in our family, if we'll just set ourselves to look for the needs around us and meet those needs, God can use that to start a work of change in the lives of the people around us. He, he does that, not us. We aren't the Savior, but he works through us. What a privilege. So I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by asking you, if you would, to take the connection card out of your program. And in a moment, we're going to be taking the offering. So I'd like to ask you, if you would, to finish completing any information on that card or maybe some next steps that you'd like to take as a result of this message. Then when the offering comes around, you can drop it in the offering. But here's some suggestions on next steps that you could take. You might want to memorize Romans 5.8. That's a great short verse that gives us a clear picture of what God's love is all about. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's his kind of love. When we're running the other way, he loves us. And we're, we're going to have all kinds of opportunities to show that kind of love to people. People that maybe aren't that lovable. They may not really respond to us the way that we want them to. But we can show God's kind of love in that in that instance in that environment uh, another step would be to look for a practical need to meet today just god would you help me see it would you help me realize the needs around me and meet those needs and love people the way that you want me to and then for the first time uh, this could be a step for the first time i'm deciding to accept christ as my savior and follow him 
as my Lord. Maybe you sense this need of redemption. You know the world's not as it should be, and you need God's forgiveness and grace and help in living the life that he wants you to live. Uh, This is how you do it. That book that we mentioned earlier that is on the table out there, the resource table to the left, the taller table, as you walk out through the doors, it explains how to connect with God. It talks about purpose in life, why God made us, and it explains how to connect in a personal relationship with him. Whether you're a first-time guest or not, I invite you to pick one of those books up if you're curious about how to decide to follow Christ and how to make him your Lord, then that would be great. You could pick that up, and I know that would be helpful. Another step would be to attend the the CIV preview, because we're all working together on the team to do what God wants us to do. And love is a core quality that God is building here, that we love one another, we love God, we do what he wants. We're trying to accomplish his purpose in life. And you can find out more about us there at the preview. If you're a first-time guest with us, again, I'm glad you're here. really like to welcome you. Uh, that book I mentioned is there, and then a movie ticket is also there for you if you'd like that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we find in Scripture. We thank you for your, your deep love for us that went to great lengths to pay the price so that we could experience life the way you meant it to be so we could get a taste now and the full experience later on as we walk through eternity with you god thank you for what you've done and i pray that lord as you give us opportunities around us to to love people with a sacrificial love that you would give us the power and the motivation to do that because we need you we need you from start to finish every day and we need your help in this so god i pray that you'd empower us to do what pleases you, and to love the people around us with your kind of love. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.